Before we get into this episode of the Kings Court Podcast, we want to take the time to express our condolences for the mass shooting that took place at Michigan State University, and that our thoughts and prayers from everyone here on the Kings Court Podcast is with each and every one of those affected by this tragedy. With that, me and my guest, Brendan Gufferson, take this opportunity to step into the court to shine light on what we believe are underrepresented stories of people and events in Black history. It's important during Black History Month to expand our knowledge of the stories of our ancestors that got us here in the beginning. And with that, this court is now in session. Yep. So, Black History Month, and Britain came up with a great idea. Uh, let's just talk about, you know, we're going to just give highlights to, you know, Black people that don't get the recognition they deserve and not just black people, but just, you know, Africa in general. I think we, we come into this uh, stigma, especially in this country that, you know, um, it's just all starts with slavery and stuff. And Britain is more than capable and qualified to tell us that that's not the case. Like we, we should all know a few of these names and these people and their contribution to our world society as a whole. So me and Britain have just um, compiled a list of people that, you know, that we love and we think that don't get talked about enough. So, Brendan, you want to start with first? Yeah, it's really, it's, I mean, black history begins at the beginning of mankind, you know, in East Africa. And we're sort of going to start an ancient period and come up until the present and relate back to some great figures in, uh, in American history. But really to start off uh, ancient history, one, I would say that's, now people don't know is uh, the kingdom of Kush, which was Egypt's yep. rival and what is now Northern Egypt and Southern Sudan. Um, they were uh, Nilotic people and they were, we under Egypt, ancient Egyptian control for a lot of periods, but yeah. in the, I, you pointed out to me that they're the 25th dynasty. Yes. Yeah, Egypt's so, so complicated. The, the Man, 25th dynasty of ancient Egypt was ruled by the Kushites and the Kushites were black Africans and if you go to Cairo, the current Egyptian museum has sort of all the dynasties listed around it. And that's the only dynasty they exclude because they don't want to recognize that they were ruled by their <laughs> southern neighbors. And so the 25th dynasty came about with King Paye, who yeah. led his army and reconquered and unified Upper and Lower Egypt all as one again. And they ruled Egypt for over a century. Yeah. And it's a major military and political um, achievement. And it's often... Uh, left out of Egyptian accounts of their past, as well as global accounts of ancient Egypt in general. And Kushite is often Kush, and in the earlier Hermans were often all, all, often left out of the uh, historical account of the Nile Valley. Yep. And another thing that I want to bring up about the Kushites is: Did you know, uh, Britain, that in Sudan, Sudan actually has more pyramids than Egypt? Yes. And they're all Kushite pyramids. Yep. Uh, Hey, could you mention that uh, queen? Oh, yeah, Queen Amonorinus. So, mm -hmm. Queen Amonorinus is really special. Like, during um, the fall of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra and that, you know, failed alliance, um, the Emperor Augustus, you know, the new emperor of the Romans who took over after um, the Second Civil War, um, he tried to expand uh, his control because the Romans, unfortunately, conquered Egypt. Um, Egypt, historically, has been really quite easy to conquer uh, <laughs> as the many, the many nations that have taken control over it. But he tried to expand uh, towards Meroe in modern, modern day Sudan and Queen Amonorinus of the Kushites was successfully able to fight him off. 
And, you know, she gets a lot, uh, well, she doesn't get a lot of credit. And I think she's very inspiring and very cool. One of the best things about that story is like she gives uh, Augustus three golden arrows and she says that they can either be for friendship or you'll need them because, you know, the Nubians are very um, famous for their archery. It's, it's something they're really ah, skilled yes, for. The, 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 the Kermans, uh, which is the kingdom of Kerma, predated Kush. Uh, were said to be some of the some if not the best archers of mm-hmm. the ancient world. Yep. Uh, another great civilization of the ancient period I like to point out would be uh, obviously um, Rexum. Oh, yeah, of late antiquity. Yeah, uh, I, I, I know of them because they have that long stick. Uh, where is that? The obelisk. Yeah, yeah, they have their obelisks are the biggest in the. They're bigger than Egypt's. I know that, and they're they're still there. And some of the obviously the the Aksum tombs and and the, and the coins and the, and the obelisk. And um, at its time, um, Aksum was recognized as one of the four major powers of um, the Eastern Hemisphere, along with, uh, I believe it was China, Rome, and Persia. Mm-hmm. So, and they've left a great legacy in the history of uh, the Horn of Africa and with Ethiopia and Eritrea, as uh, Aksum was one of the first countries to convert to Christianity, uh, mm-hmm. King Azana, I believe. And, and they were the third country in the world to convert to Christianity, starting a long tradition in, uh, in Ethiopia. Yeah. I know I'm going to piss Britain off by mentioning this first, but uh, the Swahili on the Swahili coast. Uh, I love I, the Swahili coast. Because I wanted to take it. Yeah, that's, that's I, I, I love Swahili coast. Now we're moving into the medieval period. Yeah, but I mean, I'll let you take it in Britain. What do you want to say about the Swahili? Uh, yeah. So the Swahili coast. coast is my favorite African and world civilization. Ooh, so that's uh, a big one. yeah. So starting in the eighth century, uh, we see the first resemblance of urban city states built by the Swahili people who live along the Indian ocean coast of Africa. And uh, I mean, urban states and um, had existed before then. And uh, peoples along the, in East Africa, as the Romans and Greeks called Azania or the um, Arabs as Azanj yeah. were engaged in trade on the global Indian ocean network. But when the Swahili states began in the 8th century, um, they were defined by, uh, you know, developing the Swahili language, which is a Bantu African language, but it has a lot of loan words from Persian, Gujarati, English, uh, Hindi, and a lot from Arabic. And they became these uh, massive urban city-states, and uh, they were the mediators of trade between the inland African kingdoms and African empires, such as Great Zimbabwe, and the Indian Ocean world. China, Arabia, Persia, India, and in the second half of the medieval period, so the 11th to the 15th century, they were at their highest. They were at their peak. And what's cool about their their, their ruins, which the ruins of the urban um, settlements are hundreds among the Indian Ocean Coast, they're all made out of coral. Mm. And they would use, they would sort of plaster them to be a bright white so they would look really beautiful um, from the coast. And uh, fun fact, Magic Kingdom, I mean, sorry, Disney World's Animal Kingdom, their Africa section is themed after East Africa. Ooh. And the buildings have Swahili architecture. Wow. And, I didn't uh, even know that. Like Mombasa was founded by the Swahili, which is the um, in nine, about eight, 900 AD. That's the oldest city in Kenya. Uh, Zanzibar. Uh, is believed to be the oldest inhabited place south of the Sahara. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know the Sultan of Oman uh, lived there for a while. Yeah, so after the civilization declined when the Portuguese arrived and started to take over, and then the Omani Arabs controlled it for a while, and then obviously the Europeans with the Germans and the British and blah, all that kind of junk. And <laughs> <laughs> but a really great um, 
trade networks and um, civilization. And uh, Kilwa, which is in southern Tanzania, which is probably arguably the most powerful city state, their coins that they minted could be have been found as far as northern Australia. Wow. Yeah. And and uh, among the Swahili ruins, they found Chinese porcelain and uh, things from all over the world. And uh, that the East Africa actually sent a giraffe to the Chinese emperor. Oh, wow, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Uh, so getting into another civilization that I like is uh, I probably have to mention, I mean, how could we forget the Mali Empire? Oh, uh, yeah. Masa Musa, richest uh, yes. man in the world. Um, you know, and bankrupted it, the, like the world economy a okay, few times. Okay, not listen. bankrupted, but like like caused it to go into recession because he puts he gave away so much gold. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> he's a generous guy. I mean, when you got so much, you just yeah. have to. But his pilgrimage to Mecca, uh, you know, I don't think talked about enough, and especially during that time period, you know, this man really just shows off his wealth. Europeans are jealous, and that kind of, you know. I mean, you can see it as a good or a bad thing, but with him showing off his wealth, you know, kind of sowed the seeds for, you know, planting that idea that there was a lot of wealth to be had in Africa, which will definitely come to bite people in the butt later. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> in Mali is part of this, uh, you know, this imperial system in West Africa that started with like, we'll go do more commonly known as the Ghana empire. And Ghana actually was the name of their Took ruler. Mine. And Ghana yeah. meant, means warrior king. Mm. And we'll go do that was in like I believe late antiquity began, and then there was Mali, obviously, right. and Songhai. Yeah. And uh, what I think is awesome is that people, when they hear the word knights, they think of you know medieval European knights. But in the Sahel region of West Africa, uh, which is the region that's between the Sahara and the rainforest, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty dry. Uh, they had sahelian knights and they would their armor that they put on the horses and themselves was obviously not made of metal because why would you do that in the african sun right <laughs> they're made out of thick cloth and instead of jousting with javelins they would throw them with pinpoint accuracy and Ooh. knock people off their horses or on the ground that does not sound like a good time <laughs> yeah but it's so cool yeah. <laughs> and, they, and and in some parts of africa they still do the uh dress the horses up like that and, and you yeah. know but um, before we get off of Monster Musa real quick, I do have to praise him um, for uh, Timbuktu and oh, especially the library of Timbuktu that saved a lot of historical records. Yes. It uh, is really crucial for unlocking um, the study of West Africa. So Timbuktu is up there, is on par with Alexandria and Baghdad as centers of knowledge in the, yeah. in the Eastern Hemisphere in, in terms of like world history. And unfortunate that um, the current city of Timbuktu is and their precious manuscripts are in, under deep threat by uh, uh, instability and uh, terrorists. But uh, yeah. hopefully, hopefully they can be saved and digitized. But um, yeah, because I think because uh, I know um, in Egypt now the University of Chicago is uh, trying to um, digitalize all the um, hieroglyphics in. I think I want to say the Luxor temples because of a fear of. Uh, not, not terrorism or anything like that, but before they, you know, wear away over time. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. But uh, I think they might also have a thing in Timbuktu, but I'm not sure of that. I guess I am sure of the Egypt one. Another major African innovation. Um, well, I, I forgot to mention this during the ancient period was um, Sub-Saharan Africa skipped the Bronze Age. Mm. While the Mediterranean world of Egypt and Greece and Rome were went from stone to bronze to iron, mm-hmm. Sub-Saharan Africa went straight to iron. And um, African blacksmiths were renowned for their craft, and they would craft these amazing weapons and blades and 
um, that were just truly magnificent. Uh, there was one in Central Africa where it was a sword with a bunch of little swords sticking out of it. <laughs> and you would throw it at your enemy and it would like stick onto them. Yeah. But the problem with that was <laughs> if they weren't mortally wounded, they'd pick it up and throw it right back. <laughs> and so this uh, long tradition of uh, metalworking and blacksmith uh, has existed in Africa. And another huge innovation is the uh, Jami script. Are you aware? Oh, yeah. I, I'm aware of the Jami yeah. script. So Jami is an Arabic-derived script. Uh, um, writing script that was used to um, transcribe African languages like uh, Hausa, Yoruba, Swahili, and the Manding languages. And that's why we have some records in places like Timbuktu or along the Swahili coast. Yeah. And before we, you know, continue on, I just want to let all the listeners of the King's Core podcast know that you can look these guys up as we're, you know, mentioning them. I know we're being very brief, but, you know, feel free to look these people mm-hmm. up. This is why we're you know, we're giving them this platform and we're talking about them because we've, we feel like they're like underrepresented and you can find books about these guys anywhere from Amazon to Barnes and Noble, um, YouTube. Yeah. YouTube. Oh yeah. YouTube. To, we, we know some good YouTubers. that got some really good videos yeah. about all these things. Yeah. So, you know, I just feel like go out, learn, read. It's important. And just not only just know your heritage, but just, just to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we continue, Carthage. How can I forget about Carthage? Oh, god man. damn. <laughs> I forget about Carthage. Oh my god, Carthage. Uh freaking the Mediterranean's first big like power, I'd argue. Um not even you know, bigger than the Greeks and before the Romans eventually, you know, conquered them. Uh <laughs> they were like the the pristine uh maritime power. Uh of course the notable um Carthaginians would be Hannibal, and Hannibal is very influential in you know, multiple military minds that came after right. um, Napoleon. It was a huge uh, Hannibal fan so much so that he crossed the Alps just like Hannibal did. <laughs> um, uh, you know, can I great victory? Um, yeah, just, I, I just had to mention, mention Carthage. Um, uh, getting into, let's see, South Africa. I definitely have to mention uh, the Zulu. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Southeast yeah. African, uh, Kingdom of the Zulu. Yeah, and uh, King Shaka, uh, commonly referred to as Shaka Zulu, even though that's, Zulu, you know, yeah. his, uh, it's just Shaka. Um, yeah, this is great. Uh, fought against the British uh, with... Oh, yeah, uh, what? No, no. That was before the British. Oh, it's before the British. Yeah. So the Zulu Empire, which was founded by him, mm-hmm. uh, beginning of the 19th century, and that time period, I can't, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but Mfakaneer, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, F- it's like, I think it's Mfakaneer. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> this yeah. Great disruption in Southeast Africa in terms of the peoples that lived around there. And usually the Zulu are blamed for it, but that's not really accurate. It's a bunch of reasons. Yeah. But uh, Shaga Zulu really uh, created these brilliant military tactics that were, I think, were designed around like a cow. Or, like, there's, no, like, the loins. Not, not a cow. It's elephant tactics. Elephant. Was like the, the loin. Yep. The, mm-hmm. and then, like, it's the, the horns. Mm-hmm. And the, horns. Yeah, the horns. And then uh, the trunk. It's a long line, and then the um, elephant horns come around. It's like a, it's like a big envelopment. It's like the uh, buffalo, right? It's buffalo. No, no, no. It's an elephant. It's oh. that's what they call it, elephant tactics. So what happens is like they they face the enemy head on through the trunk, and then the two converging sides of the um, horns of the elephant they come and encircle um, and attack the sides. Tusk, yeah, yeah, the tusk. And then the loins were the reserve, right? Yeah, and and it just absolutely just massively reform military tactics and allowed them to spread and become a prominent empire within the region. And then later on, the Zulu would defeat the British 
army at the Battle of Oh, I don't want to butcher the name. Oh yeah, it is a lot of, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm sorry I, for my pronunciation. Yeah, <laughs> African names. Southern, I am not yes. gonna try. Southern Africa, you know, you got those click languages. They get pretty tricky. Yeah, but they sound really cool. But as long as you guys look up Shaka Zulu and the Zulu people, you'll you'll come across yeah, it. Take your pride in that. And um, uh, yeah. Yeah, that were, that's more, yeah, we're moving to the modern period. Oh, uh, the, uh, in the early modern period, uh, the Ashanti or Ashanti oh. Empire, mm-hmm. uh, King Ose Tutu uh, oh. defeated the the power that currently had power in that region by unifying many different Akan peoples mm-hmm. and created this super powerful uh, empire that the British took like two or three wars to finally take down yeah. and um, developed this really complex road system, trade navigation. Um, and really powerful, really uh, near, near hegemony in, uh, in around West Africa and uh, uh, the Golden Stool, which is a oh, yeah. famous uh, art history legacy. Yeah. Any any time you stick it to the British, you make a fan of me. <laughs> any time <laughs> yeah. you stick it to the British, you make a fan of me. But Queen Zinga, um, uh, definitely, we got to talk about her. Uh, I feel like I'm saying her name a little bit wrong. So I didn't know this until recently in one of, in my current um, seminar in African history class, which focuses on uh, military and war, militarization, African history. War, baby. And um, Zynga is, I believe, the European way of doing it, but the yeah, local term. Always known it as Zynga. Yeah, me too. So I, I found out it's in Jinga. Oh. And she's another early modern uh, um, brilliant leader who uh, kicked the Portuguese's butt. Um, and, and not only when she was deposed of, she took over a neighboring kingdom and then again, took over her prior kingdom. Mm. Um, but she was, a a, um, brilliant and not only military strategies, but also diplomatic because she wanted to protect her kingdom and her people and was very strategic with how she went about that and, and very successful. And, you know, uh, really is just a really awesome, interesting person. There's a lot of. Uh, record of her um, from Portuguese accounts, right? And I feel like I should also give a you know honorable uh, honorable mention to the Moors. Um, the Moors have had such an effect on Spanish um, culture before the Reconquista, and even now, mm. um, there's a lot of Spanish wars. Longest that, war in history, Reconquista. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, influences you can still see in the Spanish language and uh, just in Spain itself. Um, so yeah, I just love to give them a shout out. Yeah, and, and, and sorry for not explaining. Queen Ndinga was a kingdom of Ndongo, and she took over the nearby kingdom oh, of Oh, yeah, yeah, Kamba. We got to mention the kingdoms. And uh, Southwest Africa, what is now main, mainly Angola. Uh, kingdom of Congo, which is nearby, a really powerful state yeah. in what is now Central Africa on the coastal yeah. regions. Because doesn't that take up the Republic and the Democratic yeah, Republic? Of yeah, Ghana? on the coastal yeah. area. And they were super powerful. They actually played a really strategic role, role in the Thirty Years' War, which really messed up Europe by allying with the Dutch against the Portuguese. Nice. And it, it really highlights that, you know, Africa has always been engaged in world history and has always played an integral role into it. Um, also, uh, advancements in uh, some, another advancement that I'd like to note is uh, medical advancements. Yep. Um, Africans, uh, there's a long history of African inoculation and um, against the many tropical diseases that in uh, impact the continent. And um, another one is in the uh, late 19th century when the Europeans were taking over the continent, uh, yeah. a British doctor noted in the Kingdom of Buganda and what is now the African Great Lakes region of East Central Africa uh, that th- 
the doctors there, they had this very clean, like systematic um, childbirth, uh, the C-section, the cesarean section, how much, you know, how a lot of people, including myself, were born. Yep. um, Included. Was uh, very safe, uh, very effective and successful. And it was such a like sort of like routine, just like practice tradition in the kingdom of Uganda that it is estimated to be centuries old. And I believe it's the first instance of its uh, recording. And it was truly astonished the British doctor that, uh, and others that had seen it. So that's another tradition. Or the Dogon people of Mali. Um, they have a, a detailed account of the stars and astronomy. Mm-hmm. And they would, uh, they, they trans- transcribe the stars on like this... Ooh. Sphere, even ooh, even more. Um, oh, predating Galileo. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the Aztecs predate Galileo. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, like just for reference. Okay, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah so th- that's pretty cool. And now, um, I think is a good time to, unfortunately, go into a dark part of Africa's history, which that would be the scramble for Africa, where Europeans kind of, uh, you know, um, and decided to have, of time. have their way with the continent. Um, but you know, there's one country that stood out and that would be ethiopia and i know britain would love to you yeah know. ethiopia and liberia were the only ones that managed to save off european yeah. conquest in the mostly late- but liberia mostly because it was an american yeah island. but yeah roots uh late 19th early 20th century so in 1896 so emperor menelik ii before the decisive battle against the italians and after actually uh, was able to conquer and expand the Ethiopian Empire to what is mainly its borders yeah, today. Border. But in 1896, the Battle of Adwa against the Italians, um, in which the Ethiopians mass outnumbered the Italians and were well-equipped with uh, rifles and guns and uh, occupied strategic posts and uh, guarded themselves along the foothills of the Ethiopian highlands, um, engaged in these uh, uh, brilliant tactics that brought, brought down the def- ruthless defeat of the Italians and and ensured Ethiopian sovereignty in a time when the rest of the continent had lost its freedom. Right. And it's really noteworthy and well represented in Ethiopian art and And not just Ethiopian history. art. The, the reason why that's so significant and influential is because the Ethiopian flag, if you look at most African countries, they are all influenced by the Ethiopian flag. The Pan-African flag. colors, yeah. yeah. I mean, nearly every country has the either the Green, yellow, and red. Yep. Of the Ethiopian flag. And influential they are. Yep. And there's such a long, rich tradition in uh, Ethiopia. Their writing system, the Ge script, is pretty interesting, too. Really? I've never learned about the Ge script. Yeah, they developed their own writing script that is just so unique looking. I think it looks cool. Oh, okay. But yeah, um, it's uh, really cool. Yeah. The only thing where I do find about Ethiopia is like their dating system. Like, how does that work? Yeah. What, what are they? They're like seven or eight years behind us. Yeah. Like, how does that work? Well, the Ethiopian uh, Tewahedo Orthodox Church. Oh, okay. That's how that, yeah. So they, their calendar is different because they follow a different branch of Christianity, um, which is their own. Um, and uh, their church is also dominant in uh, Eritrea. Because mm. um, they control the Eritrea, historically connected to them. So, like that Eritrean and Ethiopian Tewahedo Orthodox Church. So that's why it's different. They have their own um, Eastern Orthodox. Uh, they're part of the Eastern Orthodox branch of Christianity. All right. Yeah. And uh, you, do you want to like you know now uh, you know 
uh, we're in colonization now, so I think now would be a good time to talk about the um, oh, decolonial leaders. Oh, we we. I mean, before we get to decolonial leaders, I thought you wanted to talk about um, give a shout out to not only um, the Harlem Hellfighters. Oh, uh, yes. World War One. So now we're to the 20th century. We're going to do some um, American heroes. So that obviously the Harlem Hellfighters. I mean, just yeah. They, they, really brave. Really yeah. um, the Harlem Hellfighters, they are very influential. They're soldiers during World War I. Um, based on, as the title imposes, uh, a few of them based on the battalion, as they were known as the Harlem Hellfighters, based out of Harlem, New York. Um, and they played an extreme role at the Battle of Bella Wood, which is an American victory in World War I, and the first big major victory that helped turn the tide um, in 1918 uh, against Germany's uh, final offensive. And really helped win that war uh, for the Allies. So they're good. And also um, the Tuskegee Airmen. I know Britain wanted to touch on that. Oh, I was, yeah, those brilliant pilots during World War II that fought against the Axis in Europe, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the Tuskegee Airmen, I can't remember his name, but he won the Purple Heart or uh, for his break, or no, or the French award. He went in and saved his men from, in, in German territory. Yeah. And took them out, like, he uh, fought off against the Germans while rescuing, I believe, like four or five of his own men. And it was oh, yeah. just absolutely super brave. And um, even against all the racism they had to go against, they were still brave and fought for. Yeah. Especially when they got uh, transferred over to the Pacific, because I, I know uh, it was a, it was a very different. Was transferred episode. to the Pacific? Uh, the, the, the ski airmen. They got transferred. Oh, the, oh, I was talking about the Harlem Hellfires and the, and yeah. the ski airmen. Yeah. They got, yeah. they got transferred over. Um, to the Pacific uh, during the latter stages of World War II. They didn't really see much combat over there, but uh, it was a, it was a very shock for them because over there in the Pacific, they were, put, totally different. Yeah, they were put under uh, direct American command as of to Europe where they were under British command, where the British were a little more, um, as you can say, not as racist as, you know, still pretty racist, but not as racist as the Americans. I remember finding out in, uh, when the Harlem Hellfighters were with the French and the French were giving them, Basically, basically equal treatment and oh, yeah. the respect. It, it was, they told them to stop. Told the French to stop doing that. Yeah, so. total, total culture shock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunate. And, yeah. Uh, in terms of like decolonial era, so yeah. World so War II, we're getting into decolonization, yeah, and so I, Africa has a very. I think me and Britain can agree. I think Africa with decolonization is a very interesting history with how it goes. There are some really uh, notable figures that are really uh, great. So my. My, I would say the one I find the most interesting and uh, I have a lot of respect for would, I think he's super great, uh, would be the first president of Botswana, mm-hmm. um, Sorete Kama. Yeah. And he I know Botswana has been one of Africa's best success stories. Yeah. So he was when, so they became a country in 1966 and mm-hmm. he's, he died uh, in 1980. So he was president during that time period. Uh, he, I mean, independence, Botswana was one of the poorest countries in the world. And today it's an uh, upper middle income country and uh, it has the lowest corruption rate on the continent. Uh, Oof, I believe it's even better than the U.S. is there. Really? Less corrupt. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And, Crazy. Um, they've got a strong economy, um, rapid development, uh, one of the strongest democracies in the world, mm. a leader for the continent. And uh, Sorrento Kama himself actually came from royalty. He was from one of the uh, Swana uh, chiefdoms or clans. And his wife uh, was a white British woman. 
Oh, okay. Um, and there was a lot of resistance uh, with the British on that, but uh, she remained his wife. And hmm. one of their children, uh, Ian Kama, would later become president of Botswana. Um, and he was just an excellent man and really set up the country for success in this period of time that he was yeah. president. I want to shout out um, my boy Nasser. Um, Egypt's president during the Suez crisis. Uh, I definitely want to shout him out because, you know, Riz looking at me now, you know, I feel like he has some opinions about NASA, but I mean, you know, being able to tell the British to go F themselves and take control <laughs> of that Suez canal that he rightfully stated that they built with their blood and that they own, you know, um, I think, you know, that's, and, you know, pan, pan Arab, and Pan-African unity. Yeah. Um, um, you know, he really is a proponent of yeah, just, just just being a, a beacon of uh, hope for the uh, emerging decolonization. Because, you know, the Suez Crisis happened in 1956. So yeah. um, this was before, like, a lot of uh, African countries got to decolonize. Um, Egypt was one of the first. But, um, yeah. Him. Or a uh, year later, 57, uh, when Ghana became independent, Kwame Nkrumah. Yep was a huge proponent of uh, pan-Africanism mm-hmm. and uh, leading the fight against decolonization. The first country in sub-Saharan Africa to get independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's another notable person to point out. Or uh, Patrice Lumumba oh, of okay. Congo. Uh, he was not prime minister for long because he was murdered by uh, during the uh, a few months into being prime minister by Belgian and American-backed and uh, forces, including Belgian Americans themselves, mm-hmm. um, but he had, he helped uh, Congo become an independent, the Democrat, what is now the Democratic Republic, Republic of Congo, of become Congo. a country. Yeah, and uh, really, and I know Britain has some opinions on the DRC, as I should. Say. No, I mean it, it's really unfortunate because when he died, um, you know, because the Congo crisis was so so, uh, you know, it was this like sixty to sixty five. Uh, Cold War proxy conflict. Yeah. And once they killed him, uh, Kasavubu was prime, prime minister or president until like 65. And then Mobutu became president and he was. Oh, the US oh, Mobutu. oh Lord. Uh, he was I, don't, I, don't, I don't like. Uh, he was, he, I kind of want to talk about good African yeah, leaders. Yeah, yeah. I don't, so, don't want to talk but about that's why Mobutu. Is so was so great because he was such a. Uh, yeah. He had such a deep pride and love for his you know, for his colony to become a country and was uh, crucial in their independence and was hailed as a, a major figure in the decolonization movement. Um, obviously, can we forget, I mean, Nelson Mandela. I mean, yeah. I mean, what what do we really need to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't, you know. We, we the, just, just got to mention him. Yeah, and his, then, his story's empowering. I just, I got to mention Nelson uh, So another one, very similar to Mandela, uh, Sam Nujoma. Oh, so, yeah. So when... What is now Namibia was German Southwest Africa. When it was lost by the Germans in World War One, South Africa invaded and occupied it and held on to it all the way up until 1990 when it became yep. an independent country. And San Numjoma was the lead figure in their independence movement. And he is still alive. Hmm. He's in his early 90s and he's yeah. still alive. And he led the country to becoming uh, independent and against apartheid and ruled by South Africa. And Namibia, like Botswana in South Africa, is one of the strongest democracies on the continent and in the world. Uh, um, and it's an upper middle income. It's been a lot of progress and is really a real success story. Yeah. And, and I think he's really cool to point out. 
Um, the first president of Libya. Um, <laughs> you don't want to mention him? Gaddafi? Yeah. Gaddafi. Like, like Nasser, Pan-African, Pan-Arab unity. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I got to mention him because he, out of all of Libya's uh, current president, I will, not current president, but all, all the leaders, I think he's, you know, Gaddafi's the most influential. And yeah, we, yeah, uh, we can we argue whether that's for better. Very controversial figure, but he did he did he he was a major figure uh, during the Cold War and afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess getting in a more modern period, so after the Cold War, uh, I really like um, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. She oh, was yeah. the first Ooh, yeah. uh, first female president in Africa, I believe, and mm-hmm. uh, she was president from 2006 to 2018 yeah. of Liberia. And she helped the country recover after two brutal civil wars. Oh, yeah. Uh, made the country a stable democracy. And really, uh, through her work in international organizations prior to becoming president, really um, helped the nation recover and rebuild. And um, obviously, just a, a beacon of, of democracy and, you know, women's rights and role in politics. And I really admire her. Uh, yeah, and the, and the president that succeeded her, George Weah, he was a professional football player. I oh, really? Well, cool. Soccer, but yeah, I mean, for our American yeah. audience, which yeah. is us, but yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah. we we know we yeah. we know it's yeah. yeah. It's um, cool. Let's see. Uh, anyone else that deserves like nowadays or since the end of the Cold War that I really liked? Yeah, uh, it's kind of hard, guys, because like Africa. Well, the, since decolonization has been kind of a so John Magafuli was president of Tanzania from 2015 to I don't like uh, yeah well I don't like him either but until 2021 I believe he died from COVID and he was oh a COVID it, death yeah and he wouldn't count COVID uh, deaths and said it wasn't real uh, <laughs> he he was backsliding uh, Tanzania's funny, democracy and it was called the bulldozer but when he died his Vice President Samia Suhu Hassan oh, okay. uh, became president of Tanzania, and she uh, has invited people that were exiled from the country, allowed political parties to have like rallies, and has democratized the country. She's engaged in uh, great diplomacy and is really um, improving uh, Tanzania. Um, so I think she's a she's a current leader of Tanzania. Um, you know, there's been quite a few African countries that have had female presidents or prime ministers, uh, which the U.S. has not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, you know, they will praise uh, Kamala Harris for her uh, being. Yeah. Yeah. I, which, which, you know, is, des- is deserved. Right. But yeah. like a president, like the yeah. main leader of a country, you know, and uh, yeah. Those are just a couple off the top of my head. Yeah, so, but I mean, hey, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. I mean, there's plenty of great figures in it. That that's just something I'd like to point out. Um, Anyone else that I can, off the top of my mind that needs the entire history or anything? Uh, oh, Madam C.J. Walker. Um, yeah, could you? I, I see. I've known of many uh, great figures of of uh, African American history, but could you go into her? Cause oh, yeah. when I wasn't so, asked, the one I didn't know about. Yeah. So Madam CJ Walker, her story is very, very empowering. Um, she is responsible for creating the, uh, first, uh, the world's first, I should say, um, hair straightening formula, um, and the hot comb. Mm. So, uh, that, that, that creation by itself allowed her to become the first African American millionaire. 
Um, so she's very influential, especially in a modern day age that shows like many women can also get rich off of hair care products and just be entrepreneurs as a whole. So, you know, her work ethic, um, she was always told no. She was black and she was a woman, you know, kind of a bad combination uh, in early America. And, she, you know, she overcame that and she's just a very empowering figure. Um, yeah, nothing but love from Adam C.J. Walker. Do more research on her, Britain. I will. Please do I more. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Anybody else that I'm trying to think of not famous? Yeah, people right. Like, like, there's plenty of famous. I mean, of course, you know, right. of course. Shout out MLK. Shout out I Michael mean, X. Yeah, yeah you know. Right. But those are people that everyone knows. Um, trying to think of people. Wow, I found out about Carl X went to uh, high school in Lansing. Oh yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I didn't. And part of his life in in uh, Michigan. Uh, uh, he was born here too. Mm. It's super cool. Interesting. Um, ooh, just you want to just do like random black people just throughout just or random like places of history civilizations people. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just throw out like really random ones. I'm gonna uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out uh Alexander Dumas. Um, he's uh the son of a uh, captain in the French army. Um, his his father was uh, served under Napoleon. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but Alexander Dumas is famous because he wrote the uh. Count of Monte Cristo and the Three Musketeers. Where was he from? He's from France. Oh, oh! I think he's the one that makes the movie out of, or is that? That's oh, no, no, no. That's a like a violinist. Oh yeah, in France. Um, but yeah, but just yeah. Shout out Alexander Dumas. He's awesome, and his father was awesome too. Well, I mean, an American one would be the uh, the freedman that fought during the Civil War. Oh yeah. Or the 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 movie Glory, which de- describes like that uh, the black um, infantry that fought uh, bravely and like their efforts. I mean, their their bravery and uh, strength in battle was noted by you know General Grant, mm, yeah. right? And did you know uh, you know Russia's a hot topic in the news? Did you know uh, Peter the Great had an African son? Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> That what? Yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I you know they they say uh, Peter the Great his his favorite loves were navies and black women. <laughs> <laughs> Did they really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he wasn't when he was cheating on his German wife, he would. Oh jeez, yeah, you know. European royalty. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, there's plenty of great things. Uh, Inoculation and, and the C-section and skipping the Bronze Age, going straight to iron. Uh, yeah, it's just wonderful. And, and military tactics and uh, diplomacy and and you know and human rights and oh, uh, another one I really like is Wangari Mathai, uh, yeah. Nobel Nobel Prize winner uh, from Kenya. She was a major advocate of democracy and human rights. Uh, you know, women. You know, women's rights too. But also environmental uh, rights. She was the sort of spearheaded the the great African Great Green Wall, Ooh. which for people who don't know is a collaboration between uh, numerous African countries in the Sahel, which is the uh, like I said the dry region between the Sahara and the you know more tropical rainforest parts of Africa. And due to climate change, the and the you know rapid desertification. And expansion of the Sahara into these vital ecosystems, it was destroying crops and, uh, you know, forests and stuff like that. So she launched this campaign to plant 
hundreds of millions of trees wow. to serve as a barrier between to prevent the desertification and spread of the Sahara Desert. And it's been massively successful. I believe Ethiopia uh, broke a record for the most trees planted in one day and a few years ago. Oh, that's uh, one cool. of, yeah. So I mean, it's, they, you know, they might as well do that, you know, since they're trying I mean, to shut off other nations' water supply. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they, they might as well plant I mean, trees. One of the biggest. Uh, Sorry, not to, not, to, not to hate on any Ethiopians. Yeah, yeah. I just have my own issue with Ethiopia. One, of the, biggest, them, one but, of the biggest achievements in uh, against climate change and environmental uh, solutions. So I think that's a really cool one. That's a recent one going on right now. Yeah. Uh, Multi-African collaboration nations. Yeah. And that's, you know, you know, we set out I think we accomplished our goal, and we just set out to inform everyone that, you know, slavery is not just black history. And during Black History Month, you know, it's important to honor the people that we all know, but it's also important to pay attention to our past and, you know, that Africa, the continent and, you know, places in the world are just filled with these incredible stories Mm -hmm. of, you know, African people that are just able to, you know, break the norms and create long lasting impacts that are still relevant today and that shape our world and that, you know, their stories shouldn't just be forgotten. And, you know, I hope anyone listening to this will be able to just take this information that we're given and, you know, do more research into it because, you know, these are incredible stories and that shouldn't be forgotten. Oh crap. He's going a deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I almost forgot somebody too. Yasuke, you know the 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 Japanese samurai. Ah, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the, a cool the, one. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the black samurai. Oh my that, god. That black history and African history don't start with colonialism and slavery or you know a constant oppression, but it, it it the beginning of time. Yeah, you know the birth of humans, or Homo sapiens, and and the mass innovations and inventions and civilizations and people that have changed world history and played significant roles in it and i believe that's something we always got to be you know reminded of every day but especially in uh, this month so and as they say you know all life originated in africa so yeah it's important and with that we'll see you guys on the next episode